so glad you're here. We are in a new series. We started it last week. It's called Finding Joy. And I'm so excited about this because I need more joy in my life. And if you are there, then this is what we're doing. Uh, if you missed our kickoff last week, you missed a lot. So uh, check out the free podcast. All of our podcasts uh, are on the website. Here it is, gunnisonbethany.com. So if you check that out, you can catch up when you're on the road or you're traveling with your sports team, whatever it is. Um, you can be right with us, and uh, I think you're going to be blessed. I, I don't want you missing out on any joy that there is for you. So anyway, today, here's what we're talking about. Finding joy in suffering. Finding joy in suffering. This is one of the most important parts but one of the least understood. And at first blush, we look at this and we think, finding joy in suffering, that seems as unlikely as a Broncos win, right? But it isn't. It isn't. In fact, um, it is possible, and that is what is on the table for you. Now, I'm not talking about um, laughing our way through pain and destruction in our lives. We're not talking about um, putting on a happy face or, or thinking positive when our world feels like it's falling apart. Jesus doesn't ask us to do that. Uh, Christianity, following Jesus, is an emotionally real and, and an authentic, honest way of living. But this is true. This is what he's asking us. I don't know that... Yeah, what we're talking about is in the midst, in the midst of your deepest darkest days, having a hope, a love, a bedrock comfort, and yes, even a joy that is even deeper. And that is possible. And that is what is offered. Jesus offers all of us uh, that right now. And the best way to have this when you're going through suffering is to have this well before suffering comes. So if you're suffering now in some way, physically, emotionally, relationally, financially. This is for you. And if you're not going through something right now, a lot of us live our lives like compensating for the scars of the suffering that has been. That's for you. And if you're not either, then you and I are headed to suffering at some point in our lives. And so this is for all of us. So I want to call out uh, Tim Keller. He's a wonderful author out of New York City. Uh, if, if you are going through this or you want to press in, get this book and read it. It is Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. A lot of the wisdom that you're going to uh, receive today comes from Keller and, and his reflections in this. I can't speak highly enough of that. Um, and also, on the worksheets on the back, um, we always have like a prayer calendar, and they always have scriptures that go deeper in whatever we're talking about on Sunday for every day of your week. So get that too. Okay, um, I look around, and I know a lot of you well, and, and some of you not so well, but uh, it, that's okay. But just the ones that I know, uh, I know that you've lived through or are going through right now some unspeakable suffering. I know that about you. But I want you to know that you're not alone. I want you to take a look at the suffering in this room. So if you're brave enough, I'm not singling you out. I'll go fast enough that nobody's going to know 
exactly what it is, but um, as I talk about this, if this applies to you, I'm going to ask you to stand and keep standing. Uh, if you've suffered the death of a parent, if you've suffered the death of a sibling, if you've suffered the death of a child, if you've suffered the death of a close friend, if you've suffered a miscarriage, an abortion, stillbirth, if you've suffered abuse that is physical, abuse that is sexual, or maybe emotional, or, or racial abuse, or discrimination, if you've suffered from cancer, if you've suffered from heart disease, if someone you love is suffering through that, if you suffer through chronic pain, severe injury, or incurable illness, if you suffer with depression, mental illness, self-harm, suicidal ideation, divorce in your family, poverty, loss of job, bankruptcy or financial, betrayal, abandonment, rejection. Okay, look around. You're not alone. This is by no means every stripe of suffering, but I want you to know you are not alone. Okay, you can be seated. Even as you think, oh, what a happy party. I'm so glad I didn't sleep late today. Well, well, you will be. But as you look around and you see that the people that we're with know suffering, I want you to know this, that there is as much, if not more, suffering outside of these walls than there is inside of these walls. Which is why when we get together on Sundays as a church, this is not the game. This is the huddle, right? The game is out there with the people that we love, right? We have each other and we have Jesus. Some of them have neither, right? So they got you now. And you're going to bring them the hope that you find here. So that's the game, and I'm going to ask you to leave it all out on the field. If you have a worksheet, you're going to see that there is a heart on the back. There is one of these. If you don't, don't worry about it. I got extras up here. But if you have one, I want you to write on that heart, or you're going to do this later, what you're suffering through, what you're still compensating that you've suffered for in the past, or if you don't have either one of those, what you're afraid of suffering most in the future. Okay? And we'll, we'll be using those a little bit later. Jesus said this universal suffering would happen. He said this. He said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have suffering. But take heart. Be encouraged. Look up. Look at me. Have hope. Have even joy. Because I have overcome the world. He's saying, I've been there. I'm there with you now. And I've got this. I've got you. That's what he's saying to us. That's his promise. So what Jesus is saying is this, in this life, you're going to know pain and you're going to know suffering, but if you will also know me intimately, personally, you will experience my love for you that is stronger and even deeper than your pain. And I will be your joy. That's where we're going this morning. What we're going to do is, this is a study of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Uh, we're going to look at the next section of his letter. Uh, we're going to talk and walk through that together. And, and then we're going to look at one thing, how the gospel of Jesus helps us face and not just survive and make it through pain and suffering, 
but make it through there with joy. Amen, Philip? Amen. Okay. Okay. So here we go. We're in Philippians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, please open them there. If you've got your app, boot it up. Make sure that phone is silenced. If you don't have a Bible, you'd like to follow along so you know I'm not just making this up. Check out one of the seats in front of you. There's probably a Bible underneath it. You can use that and flip to page 1126. That's where we are. And if you don't own a Bible, that is yours to keep. We want you to have one. And if you take it, read it. God will show up and he will speak to you. And that's amazing. So here we go. Um, we are in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. Here we go. Paul writes this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So what has happened to him? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he wrote this letter too. He gives us a list of what has happened to him. And it ain't good. It ain't good. He has been beaten. He has been whipped 195 times. He says five times 40 lashes minus one. Just did that math in my head. Okay? Don't want to intimidate you, but that's, that's who you're dealing with here. Okay? 195 times. He has been stoned. And I'm not talking in the Colorado dispensary sense. He has been thrown rocks at right till he's dead. And he's also been shipwrecked and all kinds of things. This guy is a mass of scar tissue for Jesus. And right now, he is imprisoned um, for Jesus. So he, has, he says it has really served to advance the gospel. Next. So he goes on at 13, that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard that I am and all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. Because he's, he's changing these guys. All he's telling them is, look, I want you to have the same hope that I have. And, and the whole guard knows this. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's emboldening his friends, right? Because of his courage and because of his faith and his joy. 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. What is that about? Because he was, he was the top dude. He was like the leader of the church. And people who want to be in control, when the leader is removed, sometimes they kind of step in, right? For, for motives that aren't very good. He said, some indeed cre preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Who cares, he's writing. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, and I will rejoice. He's saying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Do you want to see the, the most awesome thing? That how Paul is doing has zero to do with how things are going for Paul. How Paul is doing has nothing to do with how Paul is doing. It has everything to do with whether Jesus' message of love, whether his gospel is going viral. And if that's happening, it doesn't matter what's happening to him. His, his well-being is tied to something so far bigger than just himself. 
He's not asking the why about his suffering. He's asking the who, right? Who is going to be made much of because I'm going through this? And the answer is Jesus. And so this is true. Bring that up if you would, please. Rejoicing, so that we get it straight. Or finding joy in suffering is not denying the pain or the grief, but in the midst of our pain and grief, continually focusing on and reminding ourselves of who Jesus is, of who we are to him, how much he loves us, and what Jesus has done for us. That's the gospel. Back to verse 19. He says, for I know, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance, that this, all of this, is going to turn out for my good. Does that remind you of anything? If you hang around in church a lot, you might know that he also write a, Paul also wrote a letter to the Roman church in which Romans 8.28 says this, for, I, for we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So important as we are going through stuff that just we cannot understand how there could ever be good. God is saying, I am working this in a way that will ultimately be for your good, no matter how painful. That if you could see from eternity back, you would say, oh, it was worth it all. It was worth it all. And he's saying that. I trust the God who knows the why, even when I have no idea what the why is. And what he's doing in my life and the lives of other people, and some of the people I may never, ever know, who just saw this. He's going to use it for their good in a way that if I knew what he knew, that if I loved like he loved, I would say, I'll do that again. I'd go through it again. That's what he's saying. It's huge. Verse 20. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here is the gospel bombshell that Paul drops. Get this. If you are an underliner, underline this. If you're a circler, circle. If you're a highlighter, highlight this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is the cornerstone of his life. That is the cornerstone of every life that, that claims to follow Jesus. That's the theme of this book. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're going to come back to that in the application later. But that is so huge. Do you see in that? Paul has purpose in his living. He has purpose in his suffering. He has purpose in his dying. It doesn't matter. For him to live is all about Jesus. And that means dying is gain. 22. For He unpacks it. For if I'm going to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. That means I'm going to bless you, right? Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to be done with this life and depart to be with Christ, for that is far better. Go on. But to remain in the flesh, to keep going, is more necessary for your account. Now, we need to stop there. Because if any of you are like me and have wrestled with depression, deep depression, and you have thought, maybe the world would be better without me. 
And maybe you're a believer and say, look, I just want to check out and check in with Jesus like I'm done. Paul gets it. He's getting it. He's saying that might be an option, but that's not your option as long as there are people here who need you. See, when we get that place, and I know that place, and if you're in that place, I do not want to shame you. I want to say you're not alone, and there's hope. There's hope. But, but if you're like me, when we get there, we get so internal. And Paul is saying, no, turn your focus to the people whose lives need your love, who need you. That's what he's saying. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all and for you all, for your progress and joy in the faith. I'm going to keep going, not because I want to for me, but because I want better for you, right? Okay, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and the joy in the faith. Verse 26, here we go. So that in me you may have ample cause to celebrate, to have joy and glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And he goes on. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. As I said, suffering in the gospel can turn us outside of ourselves to other people. In 2006, um, there was a, a small Amish community uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And uh, in that Amish community, a 32-year-old man from the town broke into an Amish school building and essentially kidnapped uh, 10 young women about the ages of 8 to 12 or 14. He put them in a room, he tied them up at gunpoint, and he shot them all, and he killed five of them. And the family who was part, this man's family, shot himself afterwards, so he's gone. His widow and his parents live in this small town, and they said, we have to leave now because we know these people. They're going to hate us. They're going to reject. We can't go on in this town. We didn't know this was going to happen. We feel awful. And they felt that way until the afternoon of the murders. The afternoon that these girls were killed or maimed, the families of these girls cooked food and brought it to the killer's widow's house and his parents' house to comfort them on the loss of their son. They showed up at his funeral and wept for a man who did not know the hope that they had. They continued to love on these people. Sometime later, when the Virginia Tech tragedy happened, these Amish families went down to help the families who were facing it. When Newtown, Connecticut happened, they went over to Newtown and helped the families deal with that. In suffering in the gospel, you can know a peace and comfort and a bedrock joy that can carry you in waves for other people that you did not know you could. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That doesn't mean we're ever going to earn it, we're ever going to deserve it. It's just Christ has loved you this much. 
Let's live up to that level, right? So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of all that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What does that mean? Does that mean the church is going to look the same? No. We're going to be diverse. We're going to look different. We're going to be from different races. We're going to be from different socioeconomic, different, different everything. But we got one thing. Christ calls us together. And we're going to stand, not uniformly, but in unity, right? But for your salvation and that from God. Let's go on, finish this up. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Granted to you like it's a gift to suffer. Now, I, 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 didn't, I didn't get this. I, I struggle with this. And I said, God, how am I, I going to unpack this? Because I've known some suffering in my life. Some of you know that. Um, and said, Tom, if all I did was bless you in the ways that you want to be blessed, if you know your heart the way I know your heart, that you would know that if all I did was give you everything you want, you would forget about me. So my allowing you to feel pain has allowed us to be together and you to feel deep, deep joy. And I can't claim to want to know Jesus, who is the suffering servant, and be exempt from suffering. So he gives us a gift of suffering for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and you hear that I still have. He's suffering with joy, and we can suffer with joy too. So we're going to unpack how the gospel helps us suffer with joy, and I'm not here to give you easy answers, pat answers, or one-size-fits-all life hacks. That's, that's not what this is about. I'm not even here to tell you that I understand your suffering. I don't. Some of you guys, if I could draw a circle, you guys have been through more than I could even imagine. I can't stand here and tell you I understand. But I can tell you this, Jesus understands. And that's what we see in the gospel. He understands because he suffered it all. Now, it's Paul who wrote this. Before that, he was Saul, right? And he was antagonistic against Jesus and the gospel. He would go house to house. He'd rip people apart, possessions apart, families. He'd kill some of them. He'd imprison others just because they were um, worshiping Jesus. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he was ascended into heaven, returned to his throne. He saw what Saul was doing. He appeared to him supernaturally, knocked him off his horse onto his butt. And here's what he said to him. Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Me. What does that tell us? That tells us that whatever you're going through, he has not only experienced it on the cross in your place, he is feeling it again in you, with you, for you. That is what it's saying. If you bump up the next slide. So Jesus doesn't only understand your pain. He feels it with you and for you. 
He is with you, and He is enough. The gospel, the gospel, is the key to enduring suffering and finding joy and peace in it. If we know the gospel, what's the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ, that the Creator God who loved you so much to think the world needed Jimmy, right? I'm going to create Jimmy. I'm going to create Malcolm. I'm going to create Lex. I'm going to, I'm going to dream you up and I'm going to create you. And even though you and everybody else wandered away and wanted to be their own God, I'm coming for you on a rescue mission because my heart is to enjoy you and you to enjoy me forever. So he comes on a rescue mission for you and takes all your, your shortcomings, all your hurts and habits and hang-ups, all your sin. He absorbs it and puts it on himself and he pays the price on the cross in your place so that you could be forgiven. He absorbs all the wrath of God that you and I have earned. He drinks that whole cup. So there's nothing left for you. He erases the relational distance between you and God now and forever in your place. Not because you're good enough, but because you know you're not. Because I know I'm not. And then he rises again to give us new and everlasting bulletproof life with him forever in increasing, ever-increasing joy. That is the gospel. And if you and I understand that, we can endure suffering with joy. Next. But we got to know. we got to know that we know that we know Jesus and understand the gospel if we're going to face suffering with joy. So if God is a concept to you, if Jesus is an example for you, but he's somebody that you know about that you don't know personally, you got to change that. You can change that this morning. He's here in this place, and, and it's just, he's here for the asking. You just say, yes, Jesus, I believe. I believe all of that, but I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you. What Tom talked about, that's what I want. I want to trust you for all my relational distances. I want you to forgive me and come into my life. You be my Lord and Savior, not just the Lord and Savior. I want you living in me, not just in us. If you do that, you're going to know him. And we've got to acknowledge two things. Take a look. Number one, all of us, all of us, the best to the worst and everybody in between, me included, to some degree we deserve to live in a world of suffering because we invited it in. Heck, I invited it in all the time. I wish I didn't, right? And next, because of that, Suffering is also frequently unjust. Many godly people live very hard lives, and some truly evil people live comparatively easy lives in this life. Okay? That's what we got to take a look at. That's what we got to accept. Next. But when we suffer, and I think you'll recognize this if you think about the darkest times of your life, we're in danger of blaming and hating either ourselves, God, or both. And the gospel answers both of these. How does it do that? Because if you and I don't understand and believe the gospel of grace, that Jesus came for dumpster fires like you and me to save us and rescue us and love us into himself, if we don't believe that, then we believe typically that God saves and rescues people who live good enough to earn his favor. 
So when trouble or pain or suffering comes on your life, you are likely, if that's what you believe, to think, well, I didn't live good enough. I hate myself. I deserve this, right? Or you're going to think that you did live good enough and you should be exempt from this level of pain and suffering and God has done you wrong, so you will hate him. When the gospel tells us that neither is true. He says, you can't hate yourself because I love you more than I love myself. I traded my life for you. And you can't hate me because I'm suffering in your place and I'm saving you from ultimate suffering of being separated from me. And I'm going through it with you. So there doesn't leave room. What about the suffering that other people have caused? Well, following Jesus is following the one who prayed for his enemies even as they were crucifying him. So he's saying, me living inside you, you can't even hate the people that did this to you, as the Amish people showed us. He says, it's beautiful, it's just love, it's just grace. But what if we don't understand the why? What if we don't understand the why this is happening to me? Someday we'll go through the book of Job. But you don't have to wait until we do that here. The book of Job is, is all about a godly, good man who suffers horrendously and never finds out why. See, he didn't get a copy of the book, right? He didn't, we know why it happened. He never knew. He went through faithfully suffering and never knew why. In fact, God shows up. He was there the whole time, but he has a conversation with Job at the end of the book. But he does not reveal why. What does he reveal? He reveals himself. And Job says, that's enough. That is enough for me. And and, and it has to be enough for us. Here's why. Bring that up. When we are suffering, when our life bites, Right? That is the only time we can be sure that we love God for himself and not because he gives us a pleasant life. When you win, when you're victorious, when you reach the goal, when you get the girl or the guy or the whatever, when things are going well, it's hard to know whether you love God for himself or because you're getting what you wanted anyway through him. But when you're suffering and you still love him, then you know that you love him only for himself. And that's important because God wants true lovers. Okay. We got to say we're not going to follow Jesus. We got a lot of people following Jesus because they think it's going to make their life cushy and, and prosperous and this and that. And better. Don't do that. Don't do that. Follow him because he is life. Right? No matter the cost, no matter the price, no matter the suffering, no matter the pain. Because that is exactly the criteria that Jesus used when he decided you were worth suffering for. No matter the cost, no matter the suffering, no matter, I want you. And I want you with me. Not just in this life, but forever. I want to be enjoying dinner. I want to be enjoying Isabel. I want to be enjoying Mount Mark. I want to be enjoying us forever. You were worth it. He's worth it.
So let's get to the, uh, the gospel bombshell and then let's go home. Paul writes this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what is it? What is it for you and what is it for me? Take a look at this. So we've got some blanks. They're on here if you're not using your worksheet. It's okay. So just do the top part. For me to live is blank. Now, the church answer is Christ, because that's what Paul wrote. That's what we would like to say in church. But look, we're not going to go anywhere if we're not honest. And I'm not asking you to out yourself. I'm just in your mind, in your heart, what is your life about? For me to live is this. What is it? What is it? But let me, let me also tell you, because I do love you, that if you and I actually put in our lives something other than Jesus here, then our life is in the process of being destroyed, of coming a part of the scene. Say, no, it's not. Tom, I'm good looking. I'm athletic. I'm popular. I got people interested in me. I got a bright future. I got an SUV. I got good grades. I got skills. I got hope. I got friends. Those are all great things. I got a television that's bigger than your refrigerator. I get that. I get that. But listen to me. If anything is in that first blank other than Jesus, then something else is your greatest joy. And this is just the reality of life. You don't even have to believe in God to know this is true. At some point, you are going to lose that person or that thing. And when you do, if that is your greatest joy, your life will begin to become apart and be destroyed. It is only when we make Jesus, who never can be taken from us, our greatest joy, that when we lose those people and those things, we are not destroyed. It drives us deeper into our greatest joy rather than farther away. So I encourage you to really say, for me to live is blank. That thing, if it's something other than Christ, will be taken from you. Brothers, sisters, father. Um, like So a lot of you have some brain function. You, I, no, I'm serious. It, your ability to do what you do at some point. I don't want that to destroy you. I want you to be driven deeper into your greatest joy. So the second part, for me to live is blank and to die is, Paul wrote gain. But look, look, just, just what we talked about. If it's anything other than Christ, the first one, then to die is loss. It's the loss of all those relationships. It's the loss of all those things. Are you saying that my family, that my friends, that my gifts, those aren't good things? No, they're just not ultimate things. Because to die is to lose all those things. But to die is, is a deeper connection with Christ. Deeper. So that's what we're talking about. Here's, here's the dilemma. That we are wanting, working, praying for, and expecting a comfortable, suffering-free life. And in Jesus, you will have it. Guaranteed. But not in this life. 
not in this one. That's the, that's the tragedy of the prosperity gospel. And you know it to be true. You're not gonna, none of us gets out of here scar-free, right? And the moment that we know that the life that Jesus promises us, that all of this is true, the comfort, the struggle-free, the suffering-free, the tear-free, the pain-free, it's coming, but it's not now. That frees us up to alleviate the suffering of people, to lift other people up, and in that we find joy that we never knew we could have. And it stops us from manipulating other people because there are things that we're not going to have. And we don't get distressed when we have unfinished items on our bucket list. Who cares? Because, get this, the life, if you, if you know about the resurrection and you hang around, this proves, when Jesus rose again, this proves, and, and scripture after scripture, that not as some faith traditions say, he's going to compensate, he's not going to karma you, he's not going to give you compensation for all your loss. He does something better. The Christian faith is, is unique in that he's going to restore. You understand what that means? He's going to bring back everything that you lost in him. In addition, your eternal life includes includes everything that you longed for except for sin that you missed in this life. You're going to have in him. It is incredible, and this is what Paul wrote about that. For this light and momentary affliction, my back being shredded, my head being pounded with rocks, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And when you stop, when you start living for the next life, you get this one thrown in. When you start living for this one, you lose both. That's what C.S. Lewis said. And it's true. It's true. The gospel. Here's our promise. When you pass through the water, not if you pass through the water. I will be with you. When your parents are getting divorced, when you get that diagnosis that you never wanted to hear from somebody you love, right? When somebody leaves you, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. God's promise is not that we would not go through this, but we would not go through this alone, that he would go through it with us, loving us, holding us, carrying us, and that he would be enough. The ultimate suffering is to be separated entirely from God. Why is that ultimate? Because it, it means to be separated from every good thing that he created as well. Everything of beauty and truth and life that we love. The ultimate punishment is to be separated entirely from God. And that is exactly what Jesus experienced in our place so that we would never have to. When he said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason is so that he could say to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. For the forsaking and the leaving that you and I have earned, he experienced for us. And so he paid. 
And the hymn writer wrote, When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of woe shall not thee overflow. For I will be with thee thy troubles to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. He loves you too much. He loves you too much. So that on your heart, if you haven't already, I invite you during the, as the worship team comes, um, I invite you to write on that. And if you haven't, you can do that up here. I got some pens too. What is that pain? What is that struggle? What is that suffering? either that you're going through now or that you're still trying to compensate for that happened in your past. Or if you don't have that, something that you're afraid of happening in the future. And what I'm asking you to do is do what, do what I did. I'm writing the, the, the uh, abuse that my wife suffered at the hands of others. I'm writing my, my brain injury, writing lo the loss of my father, um, the, the miscarriages that my, my, my child had, my daughter. I'm writing the loss of my brother and sister, the early death of my father when I was in college. All of that. Because it's a heart issue, right? I mean, these things only hurt us because we love them. And then what I'm asking you to do is take that and connect it to the cross of Christ. Because when we connect our suffering to the gospel, to his suffering on our behalf, then my friend, he enters in and touches you in the untouchable place because it hurts too much. He says, you can let me in there because I know I'm feeling it too. It's somebody that you love when they hurt, you hurt. And he says, I have resurrection power. I'm going to fill you with a comfort you could not know. I'm going to fill you with a love that you don't even know to ask for. And my friend, I'm going to give you my joy. And I'll tell you, you're not alone. You got me. You got these guys. And girls. Most of all, you got Jesus. You got a God who knows. He's got the scars to prove it. Connect your suffering to His, and you'll find hope. So when you're ready, come either write and attach, or just put your put your heart on there. I love you. Let's get through this with joy.